Well, hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff here at the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's President and Founder, and Benjamin Schwartz, our producer for the radio show. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We're recording this show on February 23rd, 2019. And before we get going, I want to invite our listeners to reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org. If you have questions or comments about the show today, or if you have anything you would like for us to discuss in the future, we'd love to hear from you. As always, you can listen to us on the go using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio. Just search World Business Academy. Also, I'd like to remind everybody that we also have a new weekly radio show, Solutions News, live here in California, Fridays from 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific time, and available online afterwards at solutionsnews.org. So, Ronaldo, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I got to tell you, first of all, thank you for mentioning the Solutions News because there's a lot of negative news today in, in this show. And, and I'm, I'm sorry that that's the case, but it is. And so the reason we do the other show is that we only fo focus on the solutions. We don't talk about the negative stuff without a solution. In this show, because we're dealing with economics as well as what's going on in society, we got to cover both sides of the street. And, and unfortunately, one side of the street, what's broken, is way wider than the other side of the street, what's working. Um, and, and, and I want to start at the outset by saying, when we got ready to do the show today, we had so much material, it was impossible to digest it all and boil it down to one hour. Yeah. And so what I really would like the audience to know is we would welcome them. If, they, if you want to write in and ask us for more information about one of the topics that we're going to talk about today, there's a number of articles behind each one of them. And frankly, some of them we're not even going to be able to reference because we just won't have the time. So if you're interested, for example, in some of the stuff we do about climate change or the Green New Deal or the new Social Security Act or why the governor, the Republican governor of Idaho is standing up strong right now, uh, any of that stuff, write us at Info at World Business and let us know how we can help you become better informed. Um, and that's info at worldbusiness.org. .org, thank you. And, and what I want to say to people, you've heard me use this analogy before. We are like the proverbial frog in the pot of water. And when you start with cold water, the frog is quite content. And you slowly turn the heat up, the frog doesn't do anything until the frog is literally boiled alive. Conversely, if you take a frog and you throw it into a boiling pot of water, it'll jump out instantly. And what today's show is about, unfortunately, is about how vigorously the pot's boiling. Yeah. And I'm going to start with Brexit, only because it's so much in the news today. Uh, for those of you who don't know, three of Prime Minister May's cabinet resigned their, well, strike that, three members of her cabinet basically informed her that they would no longer support her position on Brexit unless she could cut a deal within the next few days, literally, because there wasn't time to implement a deal before the March 29th trigger. The way I read that is Brexit is going to have to go back to the British public for another vote. Mm -hmm. And now that the British public knows what they are bidding on, it's not going to be a pig in the poke exercise anymore. I can't believe once they know the cost of Brexit that they won't actually choose to say, wait a minute, we had a great deal. What are we doing? It's crazy. And by the way, Brexit's not only going to hurt UK, which it will terribly. I mean, UK, is, it's over for the UK. But when I say over, by that I mean it's the end of the empire they started under 
Queen Victoria. Well, no, before that, Queen I would Elizabeth. say Queen Elizabeth. Right? In the yeah. 1600s, the 1600s, right? 1600s, that's what we said last <laughs> that's month, and it's right. true. Yeah. Anyway, so for example, in one of these articles that just popped at my attention was, there's an airline called Fly... Um, Fly BMI. Fly BMI, which stands for British Midlands. And the entire airline is shutting down, not because it was unable to find enough passengers, because in fact, they were doing 29,000 flights last year alone. They were crisscrossing all over Europe, <clears throat> and what they've concluded is, under Brexit, the instability of their route structure was so great that they would go into receivership now. And apparently, they decided not to reorganize themselves. It was not a debt-driven thing. It's a futures-driven thing. And what they've decided to do is they're going to liquidate the whole company. Uh, and, and there's a, a humorous note, is the famous inventor of the Dyson vacuum cleaner, Sir James Dyson, who was a really pro-Brexit guy just announced he's going to relocate his headquarters, <clears throat> not to someplace else in the UK. No, he's going to Singapore. Singapore, yep. yeah. And by the way, we've seen at least $1 trillion worth of financial transfers are going to be lost, about 10% mm -hmm. of the financials market in London, only the beginning. Is Paul Pullman leaving Unilever a victim yes. of this? <clears throat> no, well? well, I think, no, I don't think he's a victim. Right? Paul <sighs> Paul came under some fire from, from his board. Uh, he was trying to move from... UK. Well, that's, okay, two, two things. Okay. First, he came under fire from his board because they felt <clears throat> his pro climate change agenda, meaning addressed the climate change mm -hmm. issue, which he did in beautiful, masterfully in Paris, that got us the Paris Accords, and that some of his board members felt that he was taking too active a social position, even though he was continuing to produce and did produce increasing profits, increasing revenues. It's remarkable the job he did with that kind of resistance on his board, but he kept producing it <clears throat> all the way through. And when the showdown came over that, over his performance, he won. Mm -hmm. That was less than a year ago. Then what happened most recently is he tried to save some money by consolidating the two headquarters. So that Unilever is a very unusual company that had its joint headquarters in Holland and in Britain. And so he wanted to close the London operation, which made all the sense in the world under Brexit, and just consolidate everything in the, in the Netherlands. That ran afoul of, of Prime Minister May's government. Mm -hmm. She decided to really push on him. She got the basically the securities industry all hopped up. Mm -hmm. They own a tremendous amount of Unilever debt and stock. And they said, basically, you move out of London, we're not going to want to carry your stock. So he was forced to retreat on that point. Mm -hmm. Shortly thereafter, and he's made it careful to say there's no cause and effect here, but the timing's kind of suspicious. Mm -hmm. And so he announced uh, the fourth quarter of last year he would step down as chairman. I think he'd been there for 10, 11 years at that point. Chairman Unilever. And he was going <clears> to <throat> appoint his successor, which he did. Uh, that successor took office officially on January 1st of this year. And Paul's transition ends on July of this year. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Paul, at the same time he was doing that, I was in a conversation with him. He agreed to become chairman of B-Team. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I haven't talked to him during this transition, he's been too busy, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'll be talking to him shortly. And my guess is he will become even more active as uh, what they used to say when I was a kid, the gray eminence. I mean, the guy mm -hmm. who had been around a long time, who really knew and had the track record to speak to how business actually prospers so with a smart climate change mm -hmm. approach as opposed to uh, head in the sand, mm -hmm. which is what most investors are still doing. In fact, if you look at the stock market, it's up again yesterday. I mean, there's no logic for this. This is insane. And we're gonna we could talk a little bit maybe later. We'll get into the greenback, the, the, the structural strength of the U.S. dollar, what that means. But without getting into that conversation just yet, what we're looking at in the United States today is an economy which is increasingly on a negative trajectory. 
So I started with Brexit because, as I said, three members of, of May's cabinet, Theresa May's cabinet, have decided that to put the, basically the gun to her head, get a deal, which she cannot, that's impossible, <clears throat> get a deal in the next few days, week or so, or we're going to retract our support and we're going to urge the, the parliament to vote against your plan B, which is really plan A with almost no changes. Right. Second thing that happened, about three days before that, when I think there is a cause and effect, three of the members of the Tory party, that's Theresa May's party, resigned from that party and joined a new independent group, which was formed by eight other labor uh, defects. So eight labor defectors and three Tory defectors come together, all 11 of them, and they're all basically anti-Brexit. For the reason that Fly By Me Airlines is just, that BMI Airlines, Fly, Fly BMI Airlines is just one example. The, the trillion dollars that's already been lost in the banking sector, just one example. I mean, you go on example after example after example. I have business interests, as some of the listeners know, in the UK right now uh, with operating companies that are fairly substantial. And it is a challenge beyond belief to figure out how to structure these companies in the face of the, the, the enormous stupidity of Brexit. I mean, there's no conceivable justification for Brexit on any level that's rational. But, you know, it's like, you know, was there any rational reason that Trump got elected? Was there any rational reason that uh, a lot of crazy things happen right now? Is there any rational reason we can't stop the Russians from interfering with our election? No, all those questions. But it still happens. Right. So this is this is a, definitely a developing story. I think things are going to be getting oh, yeah. decided in the next, in the yeah, next few weeks. Because it's, it's not just the impact on UK, which right. is enormous. It's also the impact on Europe. And what's going on now, and Trump is making it a lot worse with this Russian stuff. Mm -hmm. All of the fundamental post-World War II alliances are under tremendous pressure. Example, the financial institutions of the West, which basically are the World Bank, International Monetary Fund, or IMF, European Community, the European Bank, all of these institutions, the Fed, are all in a state of initial disarray. Mm -hmm. they're, they're scrambling to try and get their house back in order, and they're being buffeted by the winds of political challenges which have less to do with the structure of the international financial order than they do with the structure of international politics. But they weren't designed to do that. They were designed to be the place you went to get sanity in the financial system when you had agreement as to right. what the political yeah. order should be. What's really lacking is leadership. But more than that, I would say that uh, Trump's been throwing grenades in there, right. and, and they've been blowing up pieces of the system. A, a, a no, no, I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just reality. I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's not even a political comment. It's an economic comment. Mm -hmm. And so we have this huge problem. And, and what we have to do now is to look at, and, you know, Powell, who's the head of our Fed, uh, he now is abandoning the rate changes because Trump put pressure on him. And if you were going to pick a time when the Fed really has to have a steely eye, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and like, you really don't want them to blink now. This is not the time. And I'm, I'm quoting the, the chairman of Goldman Sachs thinks this. Uh, my good friend Paul Tudor Jones thinks this. I mean, there's a lot of us out there that Paul Krugman thinks this. I mean, there's a lot of us who Stiglitz thinks this. There are a lot of us out there going, wait a second, this is not time for amateur's hour. This is like this political charade going on. And you've got this lightweight named Theresa May who's running Britain, sort of. And you've got this incredibly crazy thing that was done, Brexit, which was also voted because of Russian interference mm -hmm. and only then passed by one or two points. And you've got the, and, and, and people weren't told what the consequences mm -hmm. of Brexit would be. So you've got all these geopolitical forces happening at a time when you can't afford the further slowdown that's already started in Europe. Mm -hmm. So Europe right now is, if it isn't in recession, I'd be shocked. It's certainly going into recession. Mm -hmm. I believe it's in recession. Mm -hmm. I believe that China is, if, if they can squeak out 
even five, six percent growth this year, that would be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And that's down from eight to ten. I mean, that's a country that's been revolutionizing the global economy for the last three decades. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and by the way, all the attempts that China has made to insert the renminbi, their currency, in front of uh, the dollar to make it more uh, stable, all of those things are together not able to find a new balance point. So mm -hmm. the Chinese would like the new balance point to be, oh, the dollar isn't the only reserve currency, the Chinese yuan or renminbi would be a reserve currency. The Russians would like to destabilize the European bloc. The the Saudis want to control the Middle East and are negotiating, as you know, for nuclear weapons now. Yep. It's very thinly disguised because mm -hmm. what just came out two days ago is they want to get the right to make nuclear weapons without any, any agreement, side letter on nuclear power. And no one buys nuclear power for money reasons. I mean, that's crazy. You buy nuclear power because you want to make nuclear weapons, right? It's cheaper to use solar, which... Uh, which they're the biggest, one well, of the bigger... Well, du Dubai, Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and Saudis are the biggest uh, mass solar installations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because so, they know that solar is cheaper than oil. And it's actually why pump it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so I, where where we are today is we're looking at a situation where all of these forces are starting to really impact at the geopolitical level, at the international level, at the gross macro level of the global economy. Now you you dial that down to the people listening to this show who live in America, and you go, well, folks, how does this feel to you? And what we know is. We've, we've just had a restatement of the fourth quarter Christmas sales, mm -hmm. and they are down 1.3%, I believe, from the prior year. Everybody thought they were going to be up slightly. I heard estimates as high as 2 to 3.5% up. It's actually down. January, consumer sales, retail sales, down even further, because if you look at consumer confidence, down, down. significantly. Yeah. If you look at... Um, CEO confidence is CEO, down. CEO confidence is very much down, significantly down and dropping. So when you look at all these factors, you go, hmm, that's a lot of indications of what I call yellow lights flashing. Mm -hmm. So then we go one step deeper. Is there pain already in the system that we haven't been paying attention to? And clearly there is pain in the system because we have delinquency rates from student loans at $166 billion, 90 days past due or more. That's the young people who are now we're told living at home longer, and I guess I want I can't I can't imagine why not. Yeah. They can't afford to have their own house. Right, there's car car payment. Housing uh, car loans are, are in significant delinquency. Mm -hmm. We we are probably at seven million delinquent car loans. Uh, you're looking at right now probably I'm going to guess, but housing starts have never recovered from 2008, mm -hmm. and and I just want to touch on housing starts for a minute. Housing starts are different than house prices, okay? When there are fewer houses being built, that's called housing starts. That has an enormous implication for the whole economy. Why? Because when you don't start to build a new house, you don't buy a refrigerator put in it. You mm -hmm. don't buy wood to build the walls with, and you don't buy shingles, and you don't buy all this stuff. You don't buy carpets and drapes and lights. So housing starts is one of the most basic characteristics of the economy. And when housing starts are down, and right now they're not only down, but they've stayed down for years, and they have not bounced back. For a decade, they've been down. For a decade, they've been down. And you've got, typically you'd want housing starts to go up as you increase your population, which we have, just because people need a place to live. And what's, what we're seeing is the value of existing housing stock is actually going up in most places because there's fewer new places coming mm -hmm. along. Mm -hmm. So the existing places have greater economic value. There's less competition, in mm -hmm. quotes. But that pain that's being experienced by the delinquent car loan owner, which, by the way, is primarily younger people, yes. 
Overwhelmingly under 30s. Overwhelmingly under 30. You look at the, the delinquencies in student loans, obviously younger people. Although there's a lot of student loan debt it being held by their parents and grandparents. Yeah, because they're guarantors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we know that. But I'm saying, if you look at who's the defaulting yeah. party, it's, it's the, the grandparent people. didn't go to yeah. school. The grandparent went to school on the, on the GI Bill of Rights and, the, Bill, and never had to pay for mm -hmm. college. So when you hear somebody like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris, I think is going to say this too, that we ought to have universal free college education, that's what we did in 1946, and boy, it really worked. Mm -hmm. So everybody who fought, which was millions of people who fought in World War II, they got to go to school for free, and that's what propelled us into this enormous wealth we created since 1946, 47. So now we're sitting here going, okay, all that pain is there. It tends to be concentrated on the younger people, which is, which is all, the people who are also the biggest victims of climate change. Come back mm -hmm. to that in a minute. And they're now living with their parents instead and, of and buying their houses. And they're living their with their parents, houses. which is not making their parents or them happy. <laughs> When you look at all of those factors, it is clear that the economy, the wheels are coming off. Mm -hmm. So when we've been talking, and, I, and yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I said this last month, I was the only economist I know who said in October of, of 2017 that the stock market would go sideways or down for the full year because the economy was getting weaker and the fundamentals were not good. And as we all know, it went down 6%. What I've said this year is I think the market's going to be down 20 points by the end of the year. Okay, not six. And if, if we get away with less than twenty, we should kiss our, we should kiss our sacred rings or whatever part of your anatomy you kiss. Whatever <laughs> your particular whatever anatomy. you hold sacred, whatever you hold sacred, because that would be a great outcome for this year. Now, when I look at all that, and then I I saw this bill. We we had the the show that Christy referred to earlier that we do the the new solutions news. Uh, we were delighted to have uh, Congressman Salud Carbajal, a California congressman here from the Central Coast of California, and he was one of the signatories. I believe it was two hundred signatories in Congress to basically finally fix the Social Security Act. The Social Security Act, which, which is not socialism, and I'm gonna come back to socialism in a minute because I wanna talk about that term in terms of political literacy and economic literacy. But what has been going on, and this is what Salud was quick to point out, and I'm glad he did because it makes it clear for people. Social Security, although it was labeled socialism when FDR proposed it, as was Medicare and Medicaid, and none of the three of them are socialism. In the case of Social Security, you pay into Social Security so you can get benefits out at the end of your mm -hmm. working life. Okay, so it's a actually semi-privatized insurance scheme. Right. And what breaks it, what, what causes it to get into trouble is two things. One, we don't bring enough new people into the workforce. So for all of you who are wondering what conceivable benefit you can get from increased immigration, if you're over 65, the answer is those are the people who are gonna pay for your Social Security to go up. Mm -hmm. so, the elderly in this country have a huge stake in wanting to increase immigration, but they don't know it because mm -hmm. they don't realize that if we don't bring more young people with a declining birth rate, which is what we have, there won't be enough people to pay into Social Security for those people who are in their 50s now that are coming out of it. That's key point number one. Immigration is tied to the financial survival of the, the senior class. Of but isn't in the, this new legislation, isn't it to also raise the uh, the, the caps? Yeah, well, on... it's two things. It's okay. two or three things. One of the main things is and I'm going to come to the caps last. The, they're, what they're going to do is they're going to finally adjust the cost of living escalator so that it's more aimed at what senior citizens do. Like okay. So in, when you do a general cost of living escalator, it's assuming everybody uses the same kind of services to the same extent. Well, elderly people use health care much more than other things. Right. Okay? So if you don't basically design the escalator mm -hmm. that, that happens with the inflation to account for the fact that the components of what the elderly use is going up faster than the rest of other prices, then you have an, in an increase 
for a cost of living, but it's not an a accurate it's not, increase. It's not reflective of it's not reality. not reflective of the reality that mm -hmm. they use more health care. Okay, so that's one of the things. The other thing they're doing is they're, they're talking about a, a number of changes, but the one that you refer to is probably the best one. It's taking the cap, which right now is uh, down around 230000 I think. I'd have to look it up exactly. But And once you get past that number, you don't pay into it. Well, that's crazy. Why should I stop paying into it if I make 350000 or 400000 And the new cap is 400000 if I make 500000 In other words, if everybody's sitting at this table is paying Social Security at the same rate based on what we earn day to day, why wouldn't you do that no matter how much you earn? Because if the more you earn, the more easy, the easier it is for you to digest it. So there's, that's a fundamental flaw that's been built into the system. It's got to get changed. The last thing that they did, which is really good, is they haven't looked at the benefits level for more than a decade mm -hmm. now. And so the benefits level hasn't, haven't even kept up appropriately with cost of living. So all those things are being done. And what Salud said, which is absolutely correct, Social Security isn't socialism. It's an insurance scheme for the elderly. And if we aren't willing to protect the confidence the elderly had in their working years when they were 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years old, if we're not willing to say to them, hey, we're not going to let you take the short end of the stick when you retire, we will keep the system going the way it was when you paid into it so it will be affluent enough to keep you going indefinitely. Mm -hmm. And I think the guy's name is Biggs. It was the former uh, Undersecretary of the Treasury for Social Security, a Republican, by the way, under George Bush. He said that the proposed changes that these 200 Congress people have put into place mm -hmm. with this new Social Security Act, just recently introduced by the Democratic Congress, he said it is not a temporary fix it will provide solvency to the fund indefinitely. It's about time. Why are we even screwing around with talking about, you know, are we going to run out of money in the Social Security Fund? Mm -hmm. That's not fair to the people who paid in. And I think it's something that we have to look at. So now when you take how the younger people are getting hurt, as reflected by the delinquencies in mm -hmm. car payments, the delinquencies in student loans, as the, the, the shortfall in housing starts, when you put all of that together, you go, wow, growing up as a young person, forgetting climate change, not such a good deal right now. And you go, oh, and by the way, the other end of the spectrum, they're getting hurt too. The elderly, you realize the society became destabilized. Yeah, it is. And what this show has got to be about is the new paradigms in business are about a different compact between business and society. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we, we have to be willing in the business community to say, our economy won't continue to function like it is to all of our benefit unless we get in there and roll up our sleeves and get these crazy policies changed that are just smearing, I mean, crucifying the young people and penalizing the old people. And the only winners I can tell coming out of it are people in the top one, 2%. Right. Nobody else is winning. Everybody else is getting hollowed out or reduced. So let's talk a little bit about financial literacy. What happens when you have one or 2% getting all the benefits? There was a chart, I'm not sure where it is, I don't see it here on the table today, but I remember seeing it yesterday, it's like 25% has been the increase benefit to the 1% in the last like 20 years mm -hmm. versus I think the, the middle class went up 7%. No, the middle class, no, the poorest class went up 7% and the middle class went up 1% or 2% over like a 10, 15 No, I period. think it was like 0.8%. It was, it was really small, Very yeah. small. Extremely small. Uh, very, very small. Yeah. And particularly when you compare it to 25% of the time. Mm -hmm. okay? It's mm -hmm. like the graph just is like, it hits you in the face like a ton of bricks. Oh my God. The really wealthy people are taking incredible advantage. Yeah, and, and in fact, the inequality is rising so fast. This is the article yeah. that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, the people who are 
looking at this can't even keep up with with the, yeah. the differentiation. And it's and the way that they're gathering this data is even it's skewed. It's, it's, it's skewed, skewed because it, 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 it's sort of like they're they're always reporting on the train that went by yesterday. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. I already know how fast the train's going today. And, and, so so yeah. let me so here's a term that people hear that I want to talk about. It's called stock buybacks. What is a stock buyback? Now I'm going to digress by in defining this. I'm going to cite Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, so-called the sage of Omaha, runs a company called Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett individually are supposedly the best investor in the United States. And what Buffett has been doing clearly last year, and he followed it up through into the first quarter of this year, he's been buying back his stock. Well, what is a stock buyback? Well, stock buybacks are what happens when you give a company a windfall, huge amount of cash, in this case because of the uh, tax bill that benefited corporations and the super wealthy. In 2018, people didn't use that windfall to increase production. They didn't increase wages. Most of us who were watching knew that would happen. But what they did do is they used $800 billion of that bonus to buy back their own stock. Well, what does that do? It enriches the share-owning class. Mm -hmm. Read the wealthy. Mm -hmm. uh, how many listeners out there today have more than $100,000 in the stock market. I certainly don't. No, I don't think many people do on this in this show. And we're talking about people who have interests in the hundreds of millions and billions of the stock market. Mm -hmm. And for those people, an $800 billion windfall means that they get to sell their stock back to the company that issued it. And the reason the company would do that is because buying that stock back from their share owners is a way to convert a benefit on the wealthy that has no social benefit whatsoever to society, none. So and this is a, instead of investing in new business infrastructure, instead of hiring new workers, right. or instead of giving a raise to their workers, their employees, yep. they're giving it back to the yep. shareholders. Yeah, and what they're also saying is they don't think that investing that cash in something else will work better. So now back to Warren Buffett. So a stock buyback is when a company says, I will buy your stock back from Mr. Shareowner or Miss Shareowner, and here's the cash for that stock. Because giving you that cash gives you a win, because now you've got the money, and it leaves fewer people owning our company, so their per share value goes up artificially with no additional profit being created. None at all. What's the benefit to the company of doing that? The company keeps happy shareholders, and the okay. price of their stock goes up. But they didn't create any wealth. It's all a game. Now, Warren Buffett, as I started to say, the sage of Omaha, the smartest investor in America purportedly for the last three decades, he did... 1.4 billion last year, 2018, of stock buybacks. Meaning, this is a guy with 112 billion in cash. So you could say, well, one billion is not so much. True. But what he's declaring is, I can't find a good place to invest that billion dollars. And I'm a professional investor. Supposedly the best investor in America cannot find a good place to invest. And so he's given the cash back to his shareholders. And he's keeping it up. He just did in uh, he just did 400 million in the fourth quarter, and I believe a similar number in the first quarter of this year is going to come out. So, if he were to have been all last year done it at the clip of 400 million a quarter, 
He'd have been at $1.6 billion for the year. I think he came in at about $1.2 billion, $1.3 mm-hmm. So he's taken huge amounts of money by my standards. I mean, I, you know, a billion here, a billion there, it adds up. You know, it's a lot of money, $800 billion. So a stock buyback is a way to get money to the share owners, which artificially increases the price of the stock of the company without increasing profits, without adding more employees, without adding more capacity, without adding more plant, without adding more products or services. That is a distortion of what mm-hmm. capital markets are supposed to do. And I, I, my, my feeling is one of the reasons that happens is because stock buybacks have a preferred position in the tax code. I've long believed that we should treat paying a dividend to shareholders who hold stock should be the same tax deduction for the company as having interest on debt, which it's not. So that's the financial literacy topic for today. I, I wanted to switch before I go past financial literacy. I just want to stick to some of our economic indicators. Because I want people to tie now some of the craziness I've reported in Brexit, some of the craziness I'm reporting in the U.S. economy, some of the craziness I'm reporting with the financial institutions. And I want to put some, put some actual indicators to that. So as we've reported in the last couple of shows, the, the normal re- inverse relationship of oil prices to gold prices has been broken. And now they're flopping around basically un- unattached. It is clear to me, and I think other pressing observers are saying, that the price of gold now is going up both because they see the increase of inflation, so that goes to the comment I made about Powell abandoning rate changes out of political pressure. Mm-hmm. So people say, hmm, Fed's lost its nerve, it's gonna, inflation's gonna kick up, and you know, right now it's set to go up, I don't know, by 1.6, 1.8%, whatever the official number is, that's baloney. There's no way it's gonna be less than 2%. None, and I think it's that'll, and we should be glad to get two percent because I think it could be much higher. Mm-hmm. We we could finish this year with an inflation rate of of three three and a half percent. Wow! So when you average it a whole year, it's going to come out at about two percent. But I, I, that's a lot of inflation, and it, and a lot of inflation at a time when the financial institutions are not will well prepared to address mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And you got Powell basically abandoning at the helm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I want to go to the next indicator, which is so so gold is saying. Hmm, maybe we better go up because inflation's going to go up and so gold will go up in value. Mm-hmm. Now, in the top of that, we also know that the, the rate of gold, which stands today at around uh, $1,335 an ounce, I believe that you're going to see gold in the next six months, it's going to break over $1,400. Wow. Yeah, I think it's going to break $1,400. And that's going to be for two reasons. And, and Think of when six months is. Six months is March, April, May, June, July, August. Going into the fourth quarter, September, I believe you're going to see even more political instability in the United States. You're clearly going to have had some heck of a Donnybrook over in Europe because one way or the other, Brexit or no Brexit, you're going to have an incredible thing. I think you're going to see a continuing deterioration in certain of the of the markets around the world. I've cited China. I think there are others where you can point to and say, gosh, don't think they can really hold the global economy together. India is doing the best job of all right now, but I think there's a lot of pressures in India as well. Mm-hmm. So when you pay for that back and you say, well, gee, how come there's so much money available, particularly in the United States, where we've got a, now a $22 trillion debt? Remember we said over a year ago, we were analyzing the stock, the uh, president's proposed at that time tax break. And, and I said, the official number was $1.5 trillion would be the increase. That was the official that was, number. Right, that was the only $1.5 yeah. trillion. I said, no way, it'll be $2 trillion or more, and I'm guessing at least $2.5 trillion. Well, we've already added $2 trillion. So okay. I'm already right. 
Not that I wanted to be right on that one, but that was as easy to see as like the sun rising from the east. Mm -hmm. We're 22 trillion and climbing. We would be so lucky if it ends at 23 this year, because I don't think it's going on. Now, if that's the case, why does the American economy continue to buffet these, these, these forces? How, do, how does it overcoming it? And the answer is, there's no other alternative for the reserve currency. So it's the strength of the greenback. The strength of the greenback. And why is it strong? Precisely because Trump is creating so much international craziness. Mm -hmm. In other words, the crazier things get, people get scared. And they start going, looking around going, okay, where do I go with my money? What's going to be left standing when this chaos is over? And you've got someone like Trump trying to pull the temple down and doesn't know how to run a country, let alone the global economy. What's going to happen is that at some point, he's going to get to the breaking point where, where, the, where the business communities, and I'm specifically referring to Wall Street, can no longer keep it up, the, belief, the false belief system that somehow they will dance through this unscathed. Mm -hmm. Because it is increasingly obvious that you cannot operate an economy separate from the political system where it arose. So when you have a broken political system, next thing that comes is a broken economy. And the way you can see that that's coming is the yield curve. Right. So I've been talking to people on the East Coast that are really traditional money managers. I mean, we're talking about people who would have a hard time listening to this show. And, and what they're saying is, correctly so, they're better off buying six-month treasury bills than two-year or ten-year treasury bills. Because you can get the same return virtually in a six month as you can in two years. So why would you tie yourself up for two years? Okay, that's crazy. When you tell me you won't give me thing, anything extra for two years worth of risk over six months worth of risk, it means the risk appetite of the bond market is badly, badly collapsing. Now, why is that important? Because it's an indication of the other things I'm talking about. It's an indication of how the system's getting overstressed. And what's going to have to happen now is that Wall Street's going to have to quit the game it's playing, where it's artificially keeping stocks up in the air, take its medicine because it only gets worse the longer you delay it, and readjust prices. And now let me go back to Berkshire Hathaway. So what was the reason that Warren Buffett gave for why he's doing stock buybacks? Because that's not his MO. That's not what he does. He's an investor. And he said, the prices of stocks are too high. When they come down, we'll be buying for permanent management. That's the problem, folks. The prices are too high. They're not justified by the current economy. The political uncertainty is too high. The lack of, of ability to control the situation from the Fed, the total craziness in the political system, and the amongst greed, represented by the 800 billion, all come together. So a guy as smart as Warren Buffett, the number one investor in America, probably the world, says, you know what? It's priced too high. Got to come down. Yeah. It's coming down. Anyway, you're going to ask questions. Well, I just want to say, we're getting a little short on time. Yep. And I think this is, might be a nice transition to what we're going to talk about with the Green New Deal, which is sort of an interesting proposal to actually invest in, in our economy in a, in a way. And I'd love to hear what you say about that. Okay. I'm, I'm going to leave this other topic again. Write in if you want some more stuff, because not only is consumer confidence down, CEO confidence, as we said, is down. Right. It's down I mean, 13%. Th there are so many indexes now that are pointing in a negative direction. Then I'm going to leave it alone because there's no sense beating this up. But but I do, and the retail numbers, et cetera. I think to make the swing over to climate change, those people who foolishly say that climate change is coming and the question is when are not paying attention to the news. No, it's already hurting people. It's, it's, it's huge. It's here. It's here. I mean, yesterday there was 35 inches of snow in Flagstaff, Arizona. Did I say that? Arizona? Yeah, Arizona. <laughs> 
It, it snowed years. in Los Angeles yesterday. It's, it snowed in Las Vegas, and it oh, yeah. stayed on the ground and, in Las yeah, Vegas. Yeah. It snowed in Los Angeles yesterday. So what is that about? Okay, what that's about is the same thing reported on our radio show yesterday, that a, an airplane can now fly to New York from L.A. in under four hours because when they're up there, the winds are getting so crazy because the jet stream is just in complete disarray that they can pick up a jet stream that's blowing at a couple of hundred miles an hour and a plane designed to fly at 550, 570 miles an hour is literally flying at it just 800, flew at 800 miles yep. an hour. The prior record being 775. Yeah. And the plane's designed to go at 500 plus. Now, how does that happen? It only happens when the climatological conditions are so badly destabilized, 45 to 50 years of aviation history is being obliterated. Okay. Now, we, we, we can do a couple things about that. We can continue to ignore it and say, well, it's going to happen by the year 2100. Or we can go, oh my God, it's here already. And that's the Green New Deal. So now I want to do some political. I just want to potentially correct this. But I think it's L.A. to New York that's where you get the super fast, right. um, mm -hmm. not not necessarily New York back. No, 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 it's L.A. to New York because the winds always blow from right. west to east, right. always. So back to where we were. We talked about financial literacy, what are buybacks. Now let's talk about political literacy. What is socialism? And one of the things I wanted to make sure is that people realize whenever you hear a word that ends in ism, you are never, ever, ever, ever talking about economics. You're talking about political theory. So communism is a political theory. Marxist-Leninism is sometimes referred to. The economic goal, the economic system under that is called a command and control economy, meaning people at the top command what will be built, how much of it, how it will be sold, the price. So it's from the top down, and that's how the economy functions. And it's a very inefficient way to run an economy. That's a Soviet, like a Soviet communist. Soviet, Chinese, mm -hmm. it's a mm -hmm. communist. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's the kind, it, but it's always the same regardless of the ism. So, for example, in authoritarianism, in a system where, like, the generals mm -hmm. in uh, Burma, they run the same command and control system, even though they're not, quote, communists. So don't confuse political ideologies with economic ones. So what we have in the United States is what people think of as capitalism, but that's not correct. What we are is we are a capital markets economy, meaning that we use capital markets to tell us how much to build and what price to sell it for, okay? And as long as those capital markets are functioning smoothly and efficiently, it actually works far better. Now, in a capital market system, you have to regulate or the law of the jungle takes hold. The biggest will eat the smallest, and that's the end of it. So regulation has a legitimate and absolutely necessary role in government and in the economy. The question is, appropriate regulation or not appropriate regulation? So now let's go through some of the programs being proposed by the current crop of presidential candidates, and let's look at each one of them and say to ourselves, is it a desirable economic outcome? In which case, if somebody tries to label it, slam it, as socialism for the purpose of triggering a Pavlovian reaction in the voting public. So they vote against their own best interests. Recognize that that's what's being done to you. You're being treated like a dog. It's Pavlov's dog and they're angry the bell and you're going to salivate. Say the evil word and evil word. Uh, run now away. Let's, now let's look at what those evil words are. I believe 75% or more of the U.S. public believes we should have Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. We don't yet. We should. To call that socialism is a failure of analysis as well as of language. 
Uh, I believe that over 50%, probably around 55%, believes that we should have free college for everyone, which makes sense because when we did free high school for everybody back in the 1800s, it was the best thing we ever did. And when we did it after World War II, as the GI Bill, it became the second best thing we ever did. Uh, if you talk about building the country's infrastructure, our bridges, our highways, our railroads that are all broken, our, our roads, that's not socialism. That's what government does. Okay. Um, let me think. What is, what's another one that's getting pilloried right now that people are complaining well, I about? I mean, the Green New Deal is sort of the... the well, the Green the, New Deal is where we're going to end up because the Green New Deal, and most people confuse this, the Green New Deal is actually not a series of specific proposals. It's a series of policy objectives. Mm -hmm. Like, we should get to green because we're going to die if we don't, and that's why we're talking about all this climate change stuff. You know, and uh, uh, Governor Little of, uh, of Brad Little of, uh, uh, of uh, a state. Idaho. Yeah, I'm going to say, of an extremely Republican state. And he's a Republican, Republican governor. Republican governor. Republican governor of a very Republican. And he's going, hey, it's real. I recognize it in my own lifetime. I know that the oceans are rising. I know that the ice caps are melting. I know that, and he's going on and listing them all. And he actually is saying, we've got to do something about this. And he's right. And he's saying, we've got to do it right now. Well, what AOC, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, is saying, is she's saying is, if we have these policy objectives, we can then start to frame legislation within those policy objectives, which can begin to achieve them. Now, there's a debate going on, which you both know because you were there Tuesday night when we had this public meeting, a couple hundred people, and, and one lady was saying, you know what, we should do a carbon tax immediately, and somebody else was saying, nah, that's not going to be good enough. It won't stop the, the greenhouse gases. And, you know, to me, that's like making the, the perfect the enemy of the good. Of course we should have a carbon tax, and, and the more the better. In fact, um, the last time that oil went up by 50 cents a gallon at your gas tank and pump, people stopped buying SUVs. And they started buying smaller, more fuel-efficient cars. So clearly, it doesn't take a lot of attacks to move public consumption patterns. And what I would like to share with the audience today is we are out of time, folks. Oceans are rising. The, the amount of damage from weather-related events just last year was something in the order of, uh, let me see if I can find this number. I had it earlier today. Um, I think I'm, the number is going to be somewhere in the... $450 billion of lost economic activity, and the actual cost was about $49 billion, as I recall, of actual weather-related damages. So that's the California forest fires and the two hurricanes. $49 billion is actually only the hurricanes. Only the hurricanes, $49 billion. So then you put $25 billion on top of that for the California fires, so now you're up to $70 billion, right, roughly? For $70 billion, climate change isn't coming. Who's going to pay that $70 billion? Right. And who's going to make up for the $450 billion worth of lost economic well, but, activity? But, so the cost of inaction is actually rising every minute that we And that's the delay. boiling frog inaction. Yes. So the analogy I'm giving you, you know, it's one thing if you get hit with a billion here and a billion there. But when you keep adding tens of billions and you accelerate the speed mm -hmm. at which they're coming in, at some point you go, how are we going to afford this? And the answer is you probably can't. You probably cannot afford to keep this up much no, longer. No, and, and, and the insurance markets are collapsing around this. It's just yeah, not enough. Yeah, we've had our first reinsurer went broke uh, yeah. just in the last four or five months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we know that what climate change is doing is driving us to a series of incidences that are coming so quickly on the heels of each other that like the frog in the water, we're not realizing how much hotter the water's getting. So, for example, in the past five years, we've seen the number of natural disasters so-called natural, jump by more than double from 6.2 to 12.6 each year. Wow. That's more than one a month. 
Now, would I want people to go to their to their corners and think about and pray about and, and, and talk to their neighbors about is how we're going to get past this level of, and it's not ignorance. It, it, it's not even willful ignorance. It's intentional not paying attention because it's too scary. It's too frightening. And and so what we got to do, and I, I really want to salute it's, the people like uh, uh, Margaret Klein, Solomon. Yeah, it's a, it's a psychological problem. We've we got to mobilize yeah. like we did in World War II. Yep. And we've got to say to ourselves, you know what? We can't afford not to take this on. Mm -hmm. And just like we did in World War II, when the United States, this is a great quote by Winston Churchill. This is really, it really applies to this. He, goes, he says, you can count on the Americans to get it right in the end. He pauses after they've tried every other possible opportunity. <laughs> so we're running out of other things to try. Mm -hmm. And Churchill is right. We will get it right if we live long enough to do it. And when we get it right, Remember, who invented photovoltaics, even though the Chinese make them? We did. Mm -hmm. Who invented windmills? We did. I mean, you know, the current the modern, modern ones. ones. Yeah. Right. The Dutch all... Not the Dutch. Not, not the, Dutch. the Dutch kind. In fact, right. actually, there was better windmills in the Middle Ages before the Dutch got them. But at the end of the day, we are in a position where we can control our future if we don't choose to put our head in the sand and ignore that the future is here mm -hmm. now. And that's what AOC is talking about. Mm -hmm. That's what these Democratic candidates are talking about. And what we're after right now is to try and get people to wake up and smell the coffee. Folks, if you think it's going to be someone else's problem, get ready. That's what all the people in Paradise, California thought, and they were wrong. And that's what all the people in Montecito who lost their homes thought, and they were wrong. And I could go, and that's what the people, uh, I have a friend, uh, uh, Greg, who just caught, literally caught, I was talking yesterday, caught the last plane out of Flagstaff. He said, I, I couldn't believe it. He's at the Grand Canyon, and he's installing something for the government in the Grand Canyon, and he's going, oh my God, there's this big snowstorm coming. I better catch a flight. Catches a flight, and it turns out it's the last flight. <laughs> Which is so ironic, because in, in the hot, hot summers, the flights can't uh, leave from Phoenix. Phoenix. Right. Well, Arizona is kind yeah. of... Yeah. The flagstaff's a little higher, but still. It is, but getting yeah. knocked from 35 inches overnight. To, you know, there's like, this town in Australia I talk about that got four feet of rain in, in one, one day. week. One week. One week. Okay. Four feet. So they didn't... The sewers didn't back up. You know, the, 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 God, the God technique is let it rain for 40 days or 40 nights, and the sewers backed up, and Noah floats the boat. That's God's technique. What's happening now is four feet in one week. You don't have to wait for the sewers to back up. The whole town goes underwater. Right. I mean, it's insane. Uh, you know, we, we the, the main street that our office is located on, Alameda Padre Serra, has been washed out for months because of the amount of runoff that went under the street that the culvert that's there to take the water across the street collapsed. The Highway 154, which is right near my family's ranch, you can't get through it anymore because the... Uh the road got washed away. And it's it was a river. It's a river going over the road. Yeah. So I, I guess, um, I know we're on time, right? We got to wrap. We are out of time. Um, we got a few more minutes. Um, one of the things I'd like to do is I just like to focus people. So here's the silver lining in this negative cloud. The silver lining is we are really capable as a nation and as a human society. We are capable. What we have to do is be willing to look at the facts as they exist, not as they wish they would exist. Mm -hmm. We're going to, and, and I didn't do a lot of advising today on what to do with your money. I, I did hint at it when I said, you know, you can get into, into the six-month T-bills, make 2.5%. For now, that's probably good enough. It's a little ahead of inflation. I'm not sure how long that will maintain. It'll be ahead of inflation. Uh, I've said buy gold. Um, I can give you some other suggestions if we want to. But at the end of the day, the reason I didn't talk too much about specific investments is it would seem to me to be 
somewhat facetious to try to cherry pick ways to protect your nest egg when what we really need to do is for the people of America and frankly the world to grab hold of their political leadership and say, this insanity's got to stop. Which reminds me of the clip I saw of the school children talking to Diane Feinstein today. Oh yeah, yeah, which was disappointing. Which was disappointing, but it but it was heartening just because the these young people are really starting to get vocal and get active. This was uh, Rose Strauss who yeah. was at our meeting the other night, and speaking truth to power. Well, well, just tell the Rose Strauss story. So Rose was at she was taking some time off from UCSB, which is here in Santa Barbara, and she's 19 years old. She was at a, a rally, a press conference for the Republican candidate for governor of Pennsylvania. Yeah, 2018. Asked him, asked him some very intelligent questions. And he looked about climate change and he looked at her and in the presence of cameras said, what do we hear? To elect a scientist or a governor? Right. Uh, lady, young lady, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just too naive. Too na young and naive. It went viral. It did. Rose became a, a, a household name overnight. It gave her a platform from which to really articulate her problems with climate change. And that guy went down for defeat, fortunately. So it is changing, and the, and the incident you're talking about with Feinstein, and, and, and I'm not a big Feinstein fan, so I'm not surprised, but I am disappointed. Uh, she basically said something very similar to very saying, similar. People, she said, I was just elected, I know what I'm doing, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and they're the people who are going to have to live with it, because Diane will be gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I want to just touch on one last thing. Do we, are we have two minutes left or not? We have two minutes. Okay, two minutes. I want to talk about Amazon. Um, there's a lot of things about Amazon I like. I like a lot, frankly. And despite his marital infidelity, there's a lot about Jeff Bezos I like a lot. But this, this whole thing in New York is getting played wrong, in my humble opinion. I believe that the people who stopped Amazon were correct to stop it. I think that Amazon, de Blasio, the governor, uh, mayor, and Governor Cuomo of New York handled it poorly. I think what they should have done months earlier is start talking to the public and seeing if there weren't ways that they could integrate Amazon into that community better, because we know what happened in San Francisco. It's not a maybe, it's a for sure. Those high-paying salaries come in, the rents go sky high. There's push no push everyone else out. Push everybody else out. And what, the, what people in New York are saying is, I can't get to work now because the subway doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I can't get to work. And, and so the people who are saying, oh no, you're giving away billions of dollars in tax revenues that you would have gotten, 27 is the number they throw around, and only would have gonna cost you three billion, you didn't pay the three billion until you got the 27. That's horse manure. What, the, what was going on there? And I'm hoping Jeff Bezos learned his lesson. If you're going to go into a major urban area like that, and you want to plunk a lot of people, make a lot of money down in one place, think through the social implications first. How are those people going to interface? Are you going to help them build new housing so that they won't drive the old people, the other people out of their housing that's there? Are you going to help the transportation system be able to swallow that many more people when it's already broken? Mm -hmm. Are you going to be willing to help the school system develop to the point where, mm -hmm. it, and New York has very segregated schools. Yeah, you have to invest in the, in the local infrastructure. Absolutely. Social and tangential. Yeah, and, and that's the role of business today. The role of business today is to recognize we can no longer wait for the public sector to do its job because mm -hmm. it's woefully late to the party. We in business have got to do more and people like Paul Pullman, who you mentioned earlier, uh, are doing more. There's a lot of people. I think the work that Mindy Luber does at Ceres is mm -hmm. just legendary and phenomenal uh, in getting businesses to adopt more responsibility. I think what we do in Just Capital is very much part of that. So I'm, I'm excited about the business community getting awakened, and I'm hoping that the Amazon issue, rather than get painted into good, bad, Amazon bad, New York good, New York bad, Amazon good, it's, it's just so silly. It doesn't break down that way. 
What it is is it's saying we need a new compact, social compact, between business and society. Oh, and by the way, that's the name of this show. Yep. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, everyone.